Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Match Fit Football Podcast. I'm Darren Potts, your host, and today I am joined by a striker. And she has played in Scotland, she has played in England, she is a Scottish international. It is Abby Harrison. Abby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Look forward to chatting all, all things about football. Uh, anytime we can chat about football, it's always a good, good, th- a good thing, isn't it? You know, and obviously your career, you know, youngest ever player in the, you know, up in Scotland, your youngest ever goal scorer, incredible records up there. But take us back, you know, our listeners are young people who want to go pro. They, they, they want this to get into the game. Maybe they are young professionals and they want to evolve in their game and get better. But take me back to the start of your journey. When did it become a serious thing for you? And when did you make that conscious decision that this is what I'm going to do? Do you know what? Probably a lot later than than most people you'll, you'll hear from. I think being a woman as well, you don't really know what opportunities are, are going to be and of course, when I was in primary school, when the teacher asked what I wanted to be, I would write down footballer. Um, and if the boys that wrote that down thought that they got a good laugh out of their answer, then mine's was a bit more of a howl from the from the teachers. But yeah, it wasn't really. It's just something that I absolutely love doing. And even if it wasn't my job, I would play it every single day. Um, so I was just progressing nicely through the Celtic Academy, which... You know, if it had ended like that, then I managed to pull on the, the team that I supported going up strip and, and do it a few times. So I was just plodding along, probably naively thinking everything's going well and um, something might come of it. But if it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm still in school. I've got education. There's different avenues I can go down. Um, and then it was probably when I was about 16. Um, I did like there was like a scholarship sort of program through the SFA. Um, and I moved through to Edinburgh to start that. And, you know, I was training with people that had been doing this three or four years that were in the A squad and very much it was a level up for me. Um, and it was probably at that moment that although I had always dreamed of it, that's when I was like, right, it's now or never. Um, let's turn this dream into a reality. And, and from there, it just progressed. And, and here I am now. It's a phenomenal story, a phenomenal journey. And I know you've really just kind of put it into a nutshell there for, for the purpose of this podcast. But one of the things that you mentioned was in, in school, um, whenever you put down you wanted to be a footballer and the teacher kind of laughed at you or whatever that was. When we talk about overcoming obstacles, as we will come on to later in the podcast, and we're talking about, you know, maybe the, we'll talk about your injury and stuff then from a while back, but specifically overcoming that barrier you know, there's obviously a lot more opportunities now for young girls growing up that want to become professional footballers. But at, at that stage, you were kind of laughed at and you were kind of mocked. Was that hard to deal with at the time? Did that phase you at all? Or was that something that you just took in your stride and went? Um, when I look back, and I think if you were to tell me my story as somebody else, I would say, you know, oh, that sounds awful. Or how did you deal with that? But to me, it was just the norm, you know, whenever I played football, I, I, the reason I started was because my big brother played football and got dragged about with him and put in goals when his friends weren't there and, and stuff like that. So I was always sort of up against it. It was always me and him against everyone else in terms of I would be his first choice on the team, but he also knew nobody else was going to pick me. So it was probably just normality to me that people didn't really think I was going to do anything. Um, and that's just sort of a motivation for me and, yeah, just sort of strolled through life playing football on the streets, surprising people. Um, and that's what, you know, that's why I love the game. It's something that, 
that luckily I've, I've been all right at and, and managed to develop it. But still now, you know, I want to prove people wrong. And that's not only outsiders. I want to prove myself and, and see where, where I can take it. But of course, it's, it's obstacles. But I think I was probably naive back then in the sense of I was just a young girl playing football. I was always just known as, oh, the, the girl that plays football. You know, sometimes people would know me right that over that rather than my name so mm-hmm. I was just kind of always up against it in that sense that you know if it was teachers or if it was people on the street it, it didn't really phase me for for what I wanted to do and, and ultimately at the age where I didn't know if it was going to be achievable or not what I knew above anything else was it was where I was my happiest so mm-hmm. I just stuck at it and, and lucky enough I've come out the other side. It's a phenomenal, you know, portion, I think, to hear from someone off their journey of how they kind of came through in those small moments, you know, those moments of going out with your brother and dragged along to play football and jumpers for goalposts. That's how I grew up mm-hmm. as well. And you kind of look to where it's where, where you are now. You're Scottish International. You're playing at Bristol City. You mentioned, you know, coming up through the Celtic Academy. And I want to touch on that slight, a little bit because you mentioned putting the Celtic jersey on and being able to play for the team that you supported. You obviously came up through the Celtic ranks. You were the youngest at the time, you know, the player, starter and goal scorer, you know, in SP, SWPL history. Um, and that was all through Celtic. You must have immense pride, not just playing for, for Celtic, but uh, being able to break those records all at the same time while playing for the club that you that you love and support. Yeah, I think it's sort of back to, again, when, when you're living in that moment and it's it's your journey and it's your story, I don't think you really appreciate it and and at the time don't get me wrong I I know I was very very lucky in in pulling that strip on and every single time I didn't take it for granted but I think you know I'm a striker so once I progressed through through the academy the next the next stage was just first team and I think like you know you you speak to a lot of people that maybe haven't came through academies and stuff and it's wow, that was an amazing achievement. But for me at the time, it was just that next, you know, natural progression. Um, obviously, being a striker, if if I didn't score, it probably would have been, been concerning. So as much as I look back on it now with, with great pride and obviously the, the achievements sort of speak for themselves, I, I also understand that, that I was very fortunate. You know, it wasn't the plan to have me in the, the team that young. It was, unfortunately for other people, it was I got the opportunity because they were injured. Um, and you know, it just they were sort of forced to 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 have to turn to me, and and it was an opportunity that I took up. So I think that is the the main thing in in terms of, and even even now, you know, people will say, "Oh, it's amazing you you played for Scotland or you scored that goal for Scotland." But but for me, and and it's probably my biggest downfall as well is I just focus just switches right away to, to what's the next thing you know I might have been in the Scotland squad this time and scored but how can I make sure I'm in the Scotland squad every time and continuing to score so as much as the achievements are great I think I'll appreciate them more you know once my career's over and and hopefully once I don't know maybe I'm the oldest scorer for Celtic women who knows <laughs> absolutely I mean it, it's phenomenal when you mention you know even being in the Scotland squad and, and scoring the goal in, in the last game that you played for Scotland and everything that that encompasses that but I, I just think back growing up living the dream you know supporting a club playing for that club and then not, not only representing that club but representing the country and everything that goes along inside that I know you mentioned that you got lucky in the sense that players got injured then you got your opportunity 
But that's also part and parcel of the game, that you were ready, you were equipped, you were ready to go, you were excited to go, and you came in. And you not only just were given that opportunity, but you took that opportunity. And I think for young people listening to this that hear your story as well, it wasn't just like, oh, someone's injured, we'll just chuck her in. There was an opportunity given and presented to you, and you were able to take that opportunity. And it's only went from strength to strength for you. You know, your goals to game record at Hibernian was scary, you know. Um, And I think... I think some of sometimes that motivation, that desire and that opportunity given to you is so vitally important. And um, one of the things I want to ask about as well is you've, you've played for a couple of different clubs now. Um, what is it about a club that attracts a player? Or what is it about you as a player that makes you want to go and play for a club? For young people listening to this that maybe have a decision to make on an academy to join or a couple of contracts on the table, what what is it? Like, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, I think it depends massively and and where you are in that moment, you know, in terms of playing for Celtic. That was the first girls club I played for and I wouldn't have left my boys team for for any other club, you know. So in terms of that, it was it was a no-brainer. I didn't even know I was I was going to the trial. My mum dragged me out one Friday night and told me to bring my boots and and yeah, turned up and and I, and I left, you know, probably eight, eight, nine years later. Um and then the move to, to Hibs came about. And at that point in my career, it was purely just based on, you know, I'd played a good couple of seasons with, with Celtic and it was the hardest decision I've probably ever had to make because although I like absolutely loved my time there and, and we were a good squad, it was the club that I, I grew up supporting, you know, and as you grow up, like all I could think about was playing for Celtic. And if you told nine, 10 year old me that, I got that opportunity and then I moved on. I would say, no, like that's ridiculous. You, you wouldn't do that. It's your team. So the, the move to Hibs was was purely just based on, you know, taking football to the next level. Obviously, I moved through to, to Edinburgh, but at that point it was Hibs were, were going to push and, and try and compete with City, which I think was as much as they deserve the utmost respect. Glasgow City for, for what they did in Scottish football, I think, Every other team probably for a long time gave them too much respect and and we all just settled for being second best. You know, that was almost what you were playing for every year. And it, it just, yeah, the, the, you know, the thought of of going to Hibs and being able to challenge and, and win trophies and try and knock them off their peg. It was just something that I couldn't turn down. And, and you know, luckily, as I look back, it was the right decision as much as it was hard. Um, and then obviously as, you, as I moved to Bristol, it's it's taking your football to that next step again. So it's the opportunity to go full time and be a professional and, and live my dream. And I think if I didn't take the opportunity to come to Bristol for whatever reason that may have stopped me, you know, I could have regretted that for, for the rest of my life. So I think, you you know, when, when the time's right and when the moment's right in terms of a club and a feel that you get, but they just have to, you know, put put you first and and your you know values and and what you want to achieve need to align with each other. There's there's no point getting all the money in the world and and sitting on a bench or playing for a club that maybe doesn't represent your values and and how you see the game. So I think the biggest bit of advice I can give is is you know when when you get the right feeling um, and you know when you know you're speaking to people that have you and you know, at the forefront of their mind and and they need to respect you as, as you know, as a person and a player and, and moves are difficult, you know, you have a lot to 
to come up with. I think external people can just say, oh, big new signing, they're going to settle in straight away. But there's loads of hurdles that you need to overcome and, and you need to have a club and a good support system around you that give you the time and, and the patience for, for you to then reach your potential within within their club. You've said something interesting there and it's just got my, you know, the cogs turning in my brain as well. You know, sometimes, and I'm guilty of it as well, we're just out of the end of January and transfer deadline day and all the stuff that comes alongside that. And sometimes you just see player coming in, player going out and this club assigned 10 players and this club assigned two players. But you mentioned about it being right for you as a person. And I think sometimes that's a point that's missed a lot, not just by you know, the media, but by fans as well. But these aren't just players. They, they are people, they are they are persons, you know, with emotions, with feelings and moving down to those clubs. When you move down there, you're obviously having to find a place to live. You're trying to embed in a new squad and get to know the new girls and get to know the new coach and all the philosophy that the club operates. And maybe they operate on, you come at nine o'clock in the morning, maybe Hibs was at 11 o'clock. You know, there's so many differences that yeah. have, to, have to come into it. And I think that's overlooked a lot you know, in, in the media um, and by fans yeah, no, as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, the move from Celtic to Hibs was a lot easier to adjust because, you know, I was playing in the same league against the same opposition. I wasn't moving too far away from home, but, you know, the jump down here was was just massive. And, that, and that's off the pitch. That's nothing to do with the football. That's just moving away from, from home properly. And as you say, finding somewhere to live, meeting new teammates for the first time. And then when you look at the football point of view, it's, it's a completely different game, played in a different way, adapting to being professional. It was just, it's so much. And I think, you know, and, and even at times probably I'm bad for it if Celtic sign a new player and it's a big headline and you're thinking, why are they not playing? Like, good enough already? Like, what what's going on? That's big money. But it does take time. And, and I think only when... And it's something that, you know, I'll stand by and, and shout from the rooftops is all players need to be happy away from the game in order to get the best out of them on the football pitch. And I think sometimes that can be overlooked. But, you know, if you're happy and, and things are are good off the pitch, you'll bring your best on it. Speaking of that, what is it off the pitch that you feel will make a player feel good on the pitch? Is it a support circle? Is it friends? Is it just, is there a number of different things? Yeah, I think it's different things for for different individuals. I think there will be some things, you know, that that are the same. And and you've mentioned it there. A support circle is is massive. I know personally, I keep mine, you know, pretty small. Um, and I think that sort of comes from, you know, I've had people come in and out of my life, and they're there in the good times, and they're nowhere to be seen in the bad times. And and everyone has that. But I think as as people's profiles raise, and and even people that you know you might consider as friends they can get caught up in thinking you live the glamorous lifestyle and and they want those benefits as well so that's massive for me in terms of I'm a big family person you know I, I FaceTime my family every single day I speak to you know my mom dad brother and sister they all come down to to visit and and that's something that's just massive for me because I think that you know that keeps me grounded it keeps me in reality if if all the media and everyone down here is saying, oh, you're doing fantastic, you've scored in the last seven games and that's seven and seven now, you know, I pick up the phone and speak to my dad and he says, yeah, but you should have had three or four last game alone. So, although, you know, you're on a good run, let's let's get better because you can achieve more. And and that's why I'm, you know, where I'm at because I've got people to, to ground me when I need grounded. And, 
and we achieve it like everything together. The highs are, are enjoyed and celebrated and, and, you know, the lows that they'll support me through it. So it's everything off the pitch. It's friends, it's relationships, it's making sure you're comfortable where you're living. Like it's just, it's absolutely everything. There's, there's too much to mention, but the social circle, I think is a massive thing because especially in probably more young males and females, it's everyone has an idea of the life that they think you're living and they want to be a part of that and they want to say they know you when you're doing well and they want a little something off you if that's tickets to a game, if that's a pair of boots, you know, it's it's always people wanting from you and not really giving much back. So keep, you know, the close ones as close as you can. I think something that you've you've mentioned, you mentioned it earlier on the podcast and you've sort of hinted at it there as well, was is your competitiveness. You know, you mentioned that you've scored seven and seven, but your dad's like, well, you could have had three in the last game. Like, what's that about? And then, you know, you mentioned it earlier that you had to leave Celtic for footballing reasons because you wanted to challenge. You didn't want to just accept being behind Glasgow City. You wanted to fight and try and knock them off their perch. Um, and you've mentioned that, you know, there as well with your dad being blunt and upfront with you being like, yeah, I've scored seven and seven. Great. But you could have had 10 and seven. Um, is yeah. that something you feel you need? Do you know what? If you speak to probably anybody that, that I've been in a squad with, they'll tell you I'm the most competitive person that they'll ever have met. Just coaches, players, whatever it is, you know. I could be playing cards and I want to do everything I possibly can to beat you. The other night, as a few of us from the team went bowling and I was absolutely diabolical. You know, I'm, I'm not good at bowling, but I was so angry that I wasn't winning. Um, and that that transfers, you know, into football as well. Like if it's even just something small as like as a rondo or a, like a passenger with like or a possession, anything, I just want to win. It's just my mindset that, the thought of losing is horrendous and and that's not coming last that's coming second as well by the way like it's just it's it's not something that I enjoy I'm I'm too competitive probably for my own good but that sometimes stands in my way but it's just something I've I've always been like and my family are all the same you know there's none of that we'll let the youngest win when we're playing board games I wasn't brought up with that it was you know you you play something or you're you're involved in something and it's not to it's not just to be there and make up the numbers or you hear it a lot in schools all the time and it's, you know, it's just for fun, everyone's involved. Nah, that was never the case for me. Everything I do, I want to win and, and that's just the way that I've been brought up and the way that I will continue to to live my life and yeah, albeit it has its bad parts as well when I'm screaming, you know, down the changing room because I've just lost Heidi Tennis but you know, it's it's what you see is what you get with me. And it's something I pride myself on as well, because I think it transfers on the pitch on a Sunday, but also off the pitch. You know, I, I don't want to, to ever be the last. And, and as I say, even second, I want to be the best at everything I do. So I leave no stone unturned. I think that's it's it's a phenomenal attitude to have, you know, and, you know, to, to liken it to someone that I adore. I always I've always been a huge fan of Roy Keane. And I, when I hear Roy Keane do interviews, even older ones I'm talking about, when he sees like, I'm playing Zidane, he goes, I don't want a shirt. I want to beat him, you know, <laughs> things like that. And I think that yeah. attitude and that mentality will carry you so far in the game that, it, that it's needed really to succeed. Yeah, no, massively. And I think it's something that, you know, I touched on it, the, on it there with schools and it's the same, you know, growing up at, at grassroots level. And I think as well within academies, it's kind of, fluffy around the edges and sense of you know we want you to get to first team and 
if one of this squad gets the first team, you know, we've did something right. But for me, you know, I just I can't set off doing anything without wanting to win. And, and I think that's massive. And it stands out. Some coaches like it, some coaches hate it. You know, if we're playing a bounce game at training and I get called offside and I don't think I am, I'm, I'm straight on, you know, the videos after training. And, and if it's the wrong call, I'm, I'm right on to them. And I'm saying, oh, that's not good enough. I, I could have scored. We could have won the game. Like, it's, it's constant. Um, so it does have its probably negatives and, and some people won't like it, but but that's just how I am and, and I won't change. I think those attributes though, you know, as one, you know how you are and you know how you operate and that's the way you've always been. And I think that is, is you know, what matters is that you are competitive and you want to win. I know if you're playing a game of football and you're getting beat, you know, one nil, but the other team has all the ball and maybe some people's heads drop. You're like, no, I'm not accepting this. I want to win. I think it's vital for every single team to have people like that in that team. Yeah, no, massively. Um, and it's difficult at times as well, because I think when, when you are like that and, and not everyone's like that. And, and that's, I guess, the beauty of team sports is you've got different personalities and, and different characters. But, you know, I just I can't. I can't accept poor standards and it does come from, from that competitiveness. So I think it it allows me, you know, I can't shout at anyone else unless I'm holding these standards to myself and, and holding myself accountable for, for when I don't do things as good as I can. So I think if, if everyone has that winning mentality, and, and it doesn't need to be as extreme as mine in the sense of wanting to win absolutely everything. Um, but I think it, it is important. And, and as you say, you know, when the going gets tough, I'll be the one that stands up and, and grabs it, you know, with both hands and, and tries to take it under control. And, and albeit sometimes maybe put too much pressure on my own shoulders. But as I say, that's me and, and I know that that's me. So, you know, if if I've not pre-warned you before I meet you and, and we compete against each other, you'll know pretty soon in. But, you know, as soon as, as we're off the pitch, it's, you know, I'm, I'm very laid back, I'm chilled, I'm, I'm a bit crazy, to be honest. So unless we're competing... Um, yeah, I kind of just take life as it is and, and see where we end up. I think it's it's fantastic to hear that, you know, um, and it's interesting to hear the difference between you off the pitch and then on the pitch, especially when there's a competitive edge to it. Um, one of the questions we like to always ask all our guests on the show is, you know, we've talked about competitiveness and we've talked about, you know, working hard and you go back and you analyze videos and stuff. You mentioned that after training. Um, in your opinion, what are the keys to success? What are the keys to elite performance? Difficult question. Um, I think a few sort of attributes that, that you need to have is something that, that I've always said in, in football, you need to be the most selfish, selfless person in the room, um, which is a bit of a confusing a confusing quote. But, you know, if I adapt that to, to being on the pitch as a, stri- as a striker, you know, I need to be selfish to get those goals, but also I understand that the most effective thing sometimes is me to be the most selfless person on that pitch. And that's what, that's what changes the game. And, and that's something that, you know, I stand by it's, it's being the person that will make an 80 yard sprint and run from centre forward all the way back to make a goal line clearance, because you want your defenders to get that clean sheet. And it means as much to you as it, as it does the, the defenders. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Elite performance to me is, is just, humility as well you know do the hard work behind closed doors you don't need to scream it from rooftops and let everyone know what what you're doing and and another thing that I'll always say is football and in sport is probably the only 
career that you'll ever have where hard work work does genuinely direct to um to seeing results and success and I think that's that's the beauty of the game you know that the harder the work you do on and off the pitch it's those one percents that, that do make the difference and, and that's why you see the guys at the top are, are the ultimate professionals um so it's just you know yeah humility working hard be determined be selfish and look after yourself but also be the most selfless person in the room which which some people may struggle with but it's a team sport you know you need everyone you're not going to have your best game all the time and, and you need people to pull you out the gutter if that's just making sure we score three goals if we've conceded two that's fine but it's also making sure that if I've missed five goals you know the two people next to me have managed to to score three and, and we win the game so be selfish but be selfless as confusing as that quote is and just enjoy it you know you're the absolute best performing when you're happy um, and doing something that you love because even the hard work feels unbelievable. Um, so yeah, that would be my answer. I mean, it's phenomenal insight and it's phenomenal insight, not just to, you know, the career of a professional footballer, but it's also phenomenal insight to you as a person, you know, those 1%, that extra work, the hard work, you know, you mentioned, you know, if you talk to a striker and you say, what's the most enjoyable part of football, they're going to say scoring goals. No striker generally brings up sprinting 80 yards to try and make a tackle in their own box, you know, but that's what it takes sometimes to win. I think that insight that you've just given us into yourself, but also, you know, maybe even the expectations of a professional footballer. Um, and maybe that's the sort of standard that you hold. You know, I think that's phenomenal for any of our listeners to listen to. And I echo all those thoughts, work on those 1%, hard work, graft, determination, grit, be motivated and just play, give everything for your teammates, but also, you know, be conscious of your own game and working on those 1%. And it's interesting you brought up those 1% because I want to ask, um, what things have you done maybe outside of corporate training, outside of for, from your football club, maybe on your own that have helped improve your game? Probably the biggest things that have improved my game relate absolutely nothing to football. Um, just in terms of being able to to probably shut off and, and find, you know, something away from football was was one of the biggest things for me because, because I'm so competitive and, and I've spoke about that, but sometimes you know that runs through your head it's you know if I go back and look at that video and I'm offside I'm thinking why why, why is that or if I've not scored that that goal I'm thinking that's not good enough why have I done that and and sometimes it, it is hard to to switch off and I think that's where as I've grown up and I've realized that the benefits of being able to take that time to yourself to switch off means that you know you don't have that burnout um so whether that's going for a walk, you know, I listen to, to a lot of podcasts um, and a lot of, you know, self-learning books and, and stuff like that, that to me, it's just like one of my favourite podcasts is, is the high performance one. And, and I could be listening to a head of a, a sweets company or I could be listening to an Olympic medalist and I'll always pick something up that they're saying because it is that, you know, striving to be the best in your field and, and that's probably one of the biggest things is being, you know, vulnerable enough to know that you've got so much to learn and you can learn from absolutely anything. The things that might seem the end of the world and the things that, you know, when you are scoring, you can still do so much more. And, and that's just the biggest thing for me. Obviously, you've got the, the likes of training. You know, I try to eat well, sleep well. And, and that is difficult because anybody you speak to will say she's absolutely mad. She's constant, you know. 
you can't be around her too long without having a headache. That's that's me all all over. So it's difficult, and that's something that you know, growing up, I was twenty four seven. So as I've found, you know, those moments, even if that's 10, 15 minutes to, to listen to a podcast or to try and relax, do a bit of meditation, that's my, like, that's improved my game massively. Um, and also like never underestimate the benefit of the things that, you know, the physios and stuff going about the stretch and the sleep, the nutrition, things that you've been told quite vague things probably that you've been told since a young age like really delve into that and it's it's not a one size fits all you know you need to find your way and and it does take trial and error it might take four or five years but once you nail it the, the results are massive and, and that can stand for anything on or off off the pitch I mean some of some of your answers there they're quite you know they link up very well with an answer you gave earlier you know when we were talking about you know the keys to perfect you know being a professional and you mentioned that you know it's not always a glamorous lifestyle you know people have this perception that it is but you're talking about your nutrition your sleep being able to switch off just to go for a walk or take the dog out or whatever listen to a podcast you know I think something that's overlooked a lot is the sacrificial aspect of being a professional footballer. You know, there's the glitz, there's the glamour, there's playing on the pitch with the lights on and it's great, but there's also the training every day. There's the nutrition, there's the diet, there's the sleep, there's being able to switch off, there's being able to not go on social media and see what some keyboard warrior is saying. You know, there's you know there's so much stuff that encompasses, I think, being a professional footballer away from the actual pitch that is totally overlooked. And one of the things we like to focus on here is definitely that nutrition. You said at times it can be difficult. Is that one of the hardest aspects of being a professional footballer? I think, you know, when I was growing up, probably more so, like nothing in terms of of home life. I've been very fortunate in the sense that, you know, I've always ate well and and home-cooked meals. But I think it's probably that, maybe the social pressures when you're growing up and going through school, you know, it's, being able to to take the laughs and stick to your dream if you're taking a wee pot of fruit, a wee pot of veg when all your friends are going out and getting chicken burgers and chips and fizzy juice. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I wasn't the type of person that took fruit and veg. Um, I learned the hard way and I probably learned too late. But yeah, nutrition is, is really difficult because it is something that is so individualised and it, I think it does take a lot of trial and error and, and even that that you know I could have ate the exact same way now when I'm when I'm performing quite well as, as what I did a year ago when when performances weren't weren't quite there so there's so much that can can make or break things but if you're putting the right stuff in your body and giving yourself the best chance to support you know the training and the load and the stress then you know, it can, it can only be a good thing. Um, and that doesn't mean the diet needs to be squeaky clean 24-7. And, and if any footballer or athlete tells you that, you know, they're they're absolutely lying because we all need a, a little something of a, of a treat. And if not, that's when, you know, you get the problems with a big binge, which then does actually hinder performance. You know, it, it reduces recovery and, and stuff like that. But, you know, the information's out there, whether you don't have that health, open access within your club you know there's a lot out there and there's a lot of people with good knowledge it's just finding the right knowledge yeah it's find the right knowledge and then as you said you know it's all individualized and it's finding what works you know for you as well and one of the major parts of your career um in a, in a, in a sad way was an acl injury and i want to touch on that and how you dealt with that injury but also the recovery process 
and any lessons learned from that time period? Because I can imagine as a very competitive person that it was hard to be on the sidelines. Yeah, do you know what? It's it's funny because obviously it's, it's not good that, that I got that injury. Um, but in terms of when I did it, so it happened in November 19. I got my operation the start of December. And then I was at home for, you know, the first maybe two or three weeks post-operation just because I couldn't do anything. So the club gave me some time at home and my dad's a, a sports physio. So I was very fortunate in that sense. But, you know, came back to club and in the first three months, absolute tough graft. You know, it was the hardest three months that, that I had to deal with because I was dealing so much with the mental side of it. It was being so competitive I couldn't even get up out of the bed myself you know and then it was learning how to walk again and it was that vulnerability that you need to ask for help or you're back to basics and those three months were were really really tough but you know and, and I hope anybody that seen me throughout my rehab journey will say that that I was the hardest working person in the gym and and that's something that you know anybody that I speak to I would like them to think of of me as one of the hardest working people in the room because that's what I aspire to be. But COVID then hit in the March. Um, so pretty much as I was exactly three months and I actually was coming home to surveys off um, and I went home for three days and, and stayed for six and a half months. Um, the world shut down, sport shut down. So to many people, it was the worst, you know, six months of their lives when we were in lockdown for me perfect couldn't write it any better I missed five or six league games through the ACL injury so I didn't have to battle with that being on the sidelines and looking and and wanting that to be me or thinking I could make a difference but then sport and and as I say the world just paused and I think if if I hadn't had that you know rehab to focus on I would probably look back and lock down with a lot of regret that you know, of, of time waste. And I think a lot of people do look back and albeit, you know, it was three weeks, three weeks, three weeks. And before you knew it, sort of time flew. But, you know, I was able to go from not being able to run to the point when which I returned to Bristol, I was back full training. So I was able to be at home, get my head down. I was around, you know, the people I'm closest with. I was around my family. And, and that almost took all of the mental struggles that you face during an injury away because, as I say, I didn't need to come out of the changing room and turn left to the gym when when all the players were going right on the pitch and and want that to be me. It, it was just a time that was absolutely perfect and in, in the way that it happened for me individually in the sense of, right, years have all stopped, but now I kick on and, and the results and the way the club handled the rehab and being at home with my, my dad, like the physio was on hand if I needed it. And I can honestly say throughout the full of, of COVID, I didn't have a day off. And and that might not have always been what was prescribed to me. You know, rest days are important. But for me in my head, there was always something I could do. Um, and if that wasn't a proper session, you know, it was going out and, and going for a walk and, and listening to podcasts or listening to interviews for people that have been through it already and trying to pick up those tiny details of, what helped them get back in the game or what did they struggle with to make sure that, that I didn't struggle with that. So the ACL injury was, you wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And, and naively, you never think it's it's going to be going to be you either, but it's probably 
the best thing in a roundabout way that ever happened to me in football because it made me more competitive. It made me appreciate every single day, every single training session. You know, I could be told to turn up to training and I couldn't even stand up. So it, it just brought everything into, you know, reality and, and awareness and, and also just appreciating everything so much more because that could have been carried over. Do you know what I mean? So I was I was fortunate. I was looked after. I was looked after by the club. I was surrounded by friends, family, loved ones. I was able to just completely focus on me without any outside noise or, or externals. And and I think I've came back a, a better, faster, stronger footballer, but a braver, more determined, and, and better person all round from it. Well, it's phenomenal insight. Obviously, you know to probably a hard time in your career but turned out to be you know a good time in your career in terms of your mindset and being with your family and everything else so really really glad to hear that is there anything that you learned over that period in terms of your recovery or injury prevention that you would still use to this day oh yeah massively you know um take you know all the I, I leave no stone unturned in terms of everything in life so if that means that I need to do 20 minutes half an hour every day away from the club or, or before training to minimise that risk, you know, I'll do it no matter what's going on. Um, and there's so much I take from that from, you know, a physical point of view. I, I do my prehab in terms of my loading. The, the club are very understanding and keeping that, you know, we don't want dips, we don't want peaks as, as such. And and I'm on that and, and I'm honest. And sometimes, you know, the sports scientists might get annoyed because when they're telling us to get in, it's a three-game week. I'm saying, right, well... Have I hit my high-speed runs? Have I hit my sprint distance? What is my overall distance? Because it's just realising and, and, and treating your body like the temple it is because God was a... I was left speechless, I think, by just how impressive the body is when, when I was injured, you know, the, the improvements over such minimal time. And, and it probably was because I was back at the very basics. I think as an athlete, you know, you're you're training all the time and it's all you've ever known, whether that's in the gym, on the pitch, that actually just taking things back to basics and stripping it all back. And and that's what, what I learned was just trust the process, absolutely celebrate the small wins. You know, if that was managing to get my legs straight, if that was being able to step up out of the bed or, or even if that was whenever I did testing there was absolutely no way on earth I was ever no matter how tired I was or or how painful it was I was never ever letting myself get a lower score than than what I had previous and and even at that if if the physio had notes of somebody that had done it before and, and you're not supposed to compare yourself but you know but why not that was that was something for me that I was able to get that competitiveness if it was a conditioning session with the other injured players, I would make sure that I was absolutely beating them at everything I did. Or if we were doing a boxing circuit, you know, I'm absolutely leathering into those gloves just because you never know when when these small bits of effort will will help you. And I think, you know, seeing the difficulties of that, 90 minutes of football is not difficult. It's, you know, no matter how tired or or exhausted you might think you are it's all superficial it's all in your mind that's exhausting and that's not being able to stand up and and walk so you know I'd run through a wall for for any of my teammates and 
I would just like tackle my own granny in order to score a goal. <laughs> I mean, it's a phenomenal, again, a phenomenal insight into your mind, you know, and I think a lot of this stuff, you know, like your, your injury prevention now, your rehab, your, even your competitiveness in, in terms of your comeback in your rehab, I think all of that gives us a great insight to how you think in terms of, again, that competitiveness and that will to win and that desire to play and to contribute to your team's success. And it brings me on to asking one of my favorite questions of the entire podcast. It is, talk to me about the importance of having a strong mindset. How vital is that to not only you as a professional footballer, but you as a person as well? Yeah, massively. I think something I was told when I was young is people are going to talk about you and people aren't going to like you no matter what you're doing or or, or whatever. So don't don't live your life trying to please other people. It's it's only going to hold you back. So yeah, I just as I say, if you speak to anyone, you know, I'm the first person. I'm I'm the prankster probably in, in most settings that that I'm in. Like just don't take life too seriously because if you're yourself, then you've got the right people around you for the right reasons and and your mindset will be tested. And you know, any anybody um that have even experienced success or, or not, mindset's tested every single day. You know, the first mindset test that probably most people have every morning is whether to hit snooze or actually get out of bed, you know. And actually, when you take things back to basics, that's just as much as is a challenge as scoring a penalty in, in, in a game in 90 minutes. It's your mind is the most powerful thing that, that there is. It's stronger than any physical part of part of your body. So train it the way you would physical. Um, make sure you're looking after it the way you would look after, you know, your muscles or, or your bones. And if you're struggling with it, take it with the same importance as as you would with your physical health. And and I think being open and honest and with your own, you know, mindset and and whether that is going well, not going well, you know, within there you've faced and overcame so many challenges just to get to where you are, whether that's looking at it from an hour's point of view, a day's point of view, a month or, or your full life, like what you believe believe in strive for it achieve it and stick by it because at the end of the day the best person at being you is yourself so you might have some haters people might not like it but hey you wouldn't want to just have friends because you're pretending to be somebody you're not yeah that's absolutely spot on and you 100 agree with everything that you've just said there and i think with as well with with your competitive nature and with your mindset and that strong mindset and that determined mindset it's obviously led to great things in your career and one of those great things I always find, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I always dreamt of representing my country and you've had the ability and the, and you know, the dream of what it is to represent your country. You've been able to achieve that. How big a moment in your career was it being in the Scotland squad, then playing for the team, then ultimately even scoring for Scotland? How, how big a role does being a Scottish international and the pride that comes alongside that? Um, how does, how does, what does it all mean to you? Yeah, it's massive. I think, you know, growing up and, and girls football and, and, and Scottish football and, and playing, you know, for for Celtic that very much were, you know, front runners in terms of, of youth football. It was being involved in the international setup was kind of something that was probably more easily accessible and, and not so far out of, of the reach that it kind of just came in terms of the youth, it, it was 
it kind of just came along and, and I never ever took it for granted but it was something that if I wasn't within the squad I would be disappointed you know I, I wasn't expecting or or arrogant in that sense but it just seemed like the healthy progression and the natural progression that I was playing well for club and, and the recognition then came internationally and, and obviously as, as you get older the chances of that are, are obviously decreasing just in terms of well, when you're growing up, you know, you, you get older than 15s, older than 17s, but, you know, you're, you're in the seniors for a while. And and I think probably in terms of my story with international, I was first capped at 18, I think it was. Um, and then probably maybe between my first and my second cap was maybe a year. Um, and then the second and third came in, in the same week. And then after that, you know, it was probably two, two and a half years, maybe until it came again. So it's easy to, to lose sight and, and lose focus of of where you want to be and, and maybe what seems where you can be, especially, you know, through the injuries and, and stuff like that. But but my opportunities through the national team is, is again, came from the way Celtic came in, in the sense of it was somebody else's misfortune and an injury or an illness that, that essentially I got the call up and, and it is just, you know, everything I'd been doing all these years and leaving no stone unturned and being the hardest working person in the room, I was ready and I was ready to go. And that opportunity, I hope that that I've taken and and have put the, the doubt in the manager's mind of, God, we can't let, let her leave the squad again. And it's massive, you know, probably more so my family feel the pride now than I do as I say because it does feel like that natural progression and that's where I want to be and and I'm not you know I'm not content just being in there as an extra training player or or being in there and coming on as a sub you know I want to be there and I want to be starting I want to be you know a record goal scorer and, and and aiming high just because for me you know, why, why settle and just being, being mediocre? So the pride just now probably comes more from a family, you know. When, you know, when I scored, they were all there and it was five minutes from, from where I grew up. And for them, I think it just, it's, it's nice to have to have that on your journey because, God, they gave up more sacrifices than me, whether that's my parents taking me to, to football training and not having dinner that night because we're out for hours or my little brother and sister, mainly my little sister, you know, she probably doesn't really have a hobby as such because she was at the side of a football pitch more nights than not. So it made it hard to test the game, but but it's it's the sacrifices that, you know, it's nice to be able to give them a little something back. But yeah, of course, pulling on the national strip, national strip and singing a national anthem and being there, you know, some of those girls, the likes of Erin Cuthbert, we first met when we were maybe four or five years old and our boys' teams playing against each other. And albeit we've never played in the same club team, but it's a journey that, that you go on together. And and honestly, outside of football, people will never understand that that team camaraderie. And, you know, we, we see each other more than we see our families. and And it really is special to have friends and, and best friends that, that understand and are similar and likewise to you and being able to look back and achieve that dream because I think I posted about it after the game like me and Erin sang the national anthem together at under 15 Scotland and if you told both of us then that we would be doing it at Hamden 
albeit we both wanted it very much it's you know the chances of it are are slim so we we enjoy the moments together as a squad as a family and individually but but I won't take my foot off the gas and I think I won't appreciate and understand the magnitude of of where I've got to and, and what I've done until you know I hang up my boots and can look back and see the next generation try it. I find it really, really interesting, you know, hearing about international football because I often find it's a very small select number get the opportunity, you know, to play for their country and to represent their country. And I think it's often a stamp of approval in the sense of you're one of the best in this country, you know, at what you do out of all the people doing this, we've that you've been selected. And I think that's something to take a lot of pride in, you know, but something you said as well, you're not happy just being there. You're not happy just being a sub. You want to be a starter and a record goal scorer. And I think that's an unbelievably brilliant attitude to have. And again, for our listeners listening into this, I think that's something to take from this conversation is that Abby has never settled and she won't settle. You know, when she's out on rehab, she's working hard to be the best in, in the rehab group to get back to playing football. And I think that that hard work and that dedication that has followed you all through your career is is absolutely phenomenal. And it's a great testament to your career and to your dedication so far. And I think so far in your career, and I know you're very young, still only 24, there's a lot more to go, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal attitude to have, you know, for someone so young still in the sport, I think. Yeah, no, and, you know, that's just that's just one way to be and, and one personality, as I say. The, the beauty of team game is, is the array of different people and personalities you'll come across. And, God, if, if there was a changing room full of me, it would be a volatile place. So we've, we've all we've all got our place and and we all bring something so pure to, to changing room, whether that's internationally or, or playing at club. You know, it's it's about all the different personalities. And, and that's the hardest thing for a manager is finding the personalities that complement each other off the pitch and, and translating that on the pitch. But that's just the way that, that I work and the way that's worked for me. And, and as I say, I might have missed out on a few opportunities or had a few bad words said about me because of that way. And, and I won't be everyone's cup of tea, but but I'm my own and, and I'll stand by, you know, how I am and, and what I believe in. And and hopefully it, it continues with the success it's had. Yeah, hopefully it does indeed. And Abby, I just want to thank you for giving me your time today as we wrap up as we wrap up this podcast. I know obviously you're 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 a busy lady you've got a lot of stuff going on there with that uh, with bristol city i want to wish you the best for the upcoming season or the continuing season and um, good luck with that good luck with the scotland squad unless you're playing northern ireland then i don't wish you good luck i hope you miss the miss any opportunities but um that's just a little bit of bias coming out right there but um honestly thank you so much for for your time today and just before i let you go where can any of our listeners catch up with you follow you and connect with you on social media Oh God, you've put me on the spot. Um, Instagram is Abigail Harrison twenty one. I think it is, um, and Twitter I think is Abby Harrison underscore. Um, but you'll probably see my face somewhere, or if you go on Bristol City's page, you'll you'll probably be able to find me there. But not the biggest social media fan. But yeah, if anybody gets in touch, whatever, I'll always find a way and get back to anybody. Well, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your time. Thank you for, you know, giving us the opportunity to explore your journey, explore your mindset and talk to you about your performance as well. This has been the MatchFit Football Podcast. I'm Darren Potts. Remember to check out MatchFit Football um, on Instagram, Twitter and all the usual platforms as well. So, Abby, thanks again for coming on the show. Cheers. Thanks for having me.